0: As we get our our um, message here this morning, if you could turn in your Bibles to John chapter two, we're going to pick up in our Bible study in our um, Grace Group study uh, starting in verse 13. It'll be verse 13 to 25. This is one of the more I would say well-known passages in John's Gospel, um, where Jesus goes in. Uh, to, he ends up cleansing the temple. Um, it's been used. This passage is used to describe the type of passion or zeal we should have for God. In the times that I've taught on this passage, especially with the youth, I've used this as an example of justified anger. But today we're really going to look at it in terms of clutter. You know, there are companies dedicated just for how we handle the clutter, the physical clutter in our lives. I remember when I was a kid in my closet, when we had a closet, there would just be like a pole and you put a hanger on it. Now you go into any store, there's all kinds of organizers for organizers for closets, how to handle all of our stuff. There's products, there's actually there's even storage facilities now for how we can store more of our clutter, not even really keep it organized. There are TV shows dedicated to going into other people's clutter and finding values. I'm thinking of like American Pickers and we used to watch Storage Wars and those sorts of things. There's even TV shows that make make light of other people's problems they have with clutter. There's even an organization called the National Organization of Professional Organizers to help professionals that are in this field. And I'm thinking that must be like the most exciting trade show ever as they're trying to argue about what color order the post-it notes go in and whether the pens are on the left and the pencils are on the right, or the pencils are on the left, or the pens are on on the right. But today, we're gonna look at the Lord's view of clutter and a key tool that he gives us to keep organized and direct our focus on him. Dear Father, we ask, that in this message, Father, that your word just speak to our hearts here, Father. We pray that, um, that through this message we can maybe identify some of the clutter in our lives, Father, and that it can just help us through that identification, Father. It can just help us draw closer to you. All right, so if you could stand with me as we read John chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us doing these things? Jesus answered, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews, said, the Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name, and when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about his name, for he himself knew what was in man. You may be seated. Sound team, I'm a little hot up here. Can you turn me down just a bit? Thank you. So just a bit of our our history here on this particular passage, where we are up to this point. Uh, previously, Jesus had been at the wedding at Cana. Um, he had been performing uh, the miracle there, turning the water and the wine, and now he moves from Cana into Jerusalem for the Passover feast. At the Passover here, it was just, as a, again, as a reminder, this was a celebration to remind them of God's grace and delivering them from bondage in Egypt. So here we have Jesus going into Jerusalem for Passover. This would allow him to have the greatest access to do the most good, He was having an opportunity here, obviously, to walk into the temple. And I imagine him walking in there looking to pray, looking to teach, looking to worship. And then he walks in and finds something so offensive that it caused him to lash out in anger. The first thing he encountered was the money changers. Now, a bit of a history here. So this um, Jerusalem being a Roman province, outside of the temple, they used Roman currency for business. but here to be able to conduct the business in the temple, which is obviously the whole, a whole other issue Jesus, Jesus has a problem with, they have to convert it from uh, denarii over to shekels. And in doing that, the officials who were overseeing it um, were, were actually charging an exchange rate, an added fee to be able to change the currency over. They were taking advantage of the individuals that were coming to worship to be able to, to be able to worship God freely this was just all serving as a distraction from them giving glory to god now we're distracted all the time and i guarantee we're distracted we're distracted anytime here that we're in church i know one of the biggest distractions for me is when rossi's turns on their grill and we start smelling the burgers from next door i mean i start getting hungry i'm ready to go there for lunch Um, but i mean the distractions happen but when we're aware of them it allows us the ability to correct them but really the biggest distractions in our lives are our sin. Right. And the way that God desires us to handle our sin, he, deci- he wants us to go through a refining process. Um, I love watching videos on YouTube. I'll watch anything. I'll watch baseball videos, I watch soccer videos, I like watching cat fails, so long as they don't get hurt. You know, cat fails where they like jump and they don't actually make it as far as they actually had intended. And, and, they, and they fall down. Only some of you are laughing, so I'm sorry cat people. Um, um, I've even watched videos of like air traffic control. I, mean, I, just, I, just, I just find a lot of stuff interesting. But the one thing I really enjoy to watch is the refining process. If you watch like a metal refinery where they actually take iron ore and they smelt it down and they make it into its actual product. There's just something about the sparks and the fire and, and the rawness of it. That's what God wants us to do, as we, as He seeks us to move away from our sin and into, and into a life that is completely honoring and glorifying to you, up uh, to glorifying to Him. Um, there's multiple examples in Scripture where God talks about refining. He talks about refining silver, and refining gold, and releasing the clutter in our lives. Comes from us finding our sin, and refining it. But I, I think one of the challenges that we face is that we tend to want to identify our sins as like little sins and big sins. This a little bit is okay, but this big one, not okay. And then I, I look at passages like Romans 3.23, where it says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And then in First Ro- uh, John uh, 1 nine, where it says, If we confess our sins, um, Jesus is faithful, faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness but there's really no distinction about little or big, right? It's just about the sin. And God has given us a wonderful yet cautious tool in how to handle our sin and refine ourselves, and that's shame. Right, now, shame is different than guilt. Guilt is you acknowledge that you've done something wrong, but shame is, okay, um, I am wrong. So an example here, the speed limit out on Klockner Road here is 40 miles an hour, not wait, actually it's 35 miles an hour. But if I say I'm going 40 and I know it's 35, yeah, I'm wrong, I know it's really 35, but I'm gonna go 40 anyway, right? Or think about someone who is in jail for robbing a bank. Yeah, I robbed the bank, but I needed the money, right? Anytime we yes, but, we recognize the guilt, but it's not moving us to change. And shame had its origin in the first sin. So if we look all the way back in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, 25, um, as we hear about how Adam and Eve are living in the garden, Adam and Eve are naked and unashamed. This tells us that there was no sin, I'm sorry, this tells us there was no shame because there was innocence from the evil of sin. There was no shame because there was no guilt. But after the first sin, the first thing Adam and Eve did after they hid from God is they hid because they were naked. They were afraid of God, but they hid from their nakedness because they were shamed. Sin, wherever sin exists, shame follows. This was the design from the beginning. And God wants us to use shame to identify that there is something wrong to motivate us to adjust our behavior and to change. But just like with anything when god uses something for good satan can also use it for bad satan seeks to use shame to destroy us when we move beyond identifying that there is something wrong and i need to change satan takes hold of it and it moves to i am bad not that i have done something wrong that there is something wrong with me or even worse that i don't matter right these are all things satan uses to destroy us shame is not pleasant but the problem is, is that most of us don't know what to do with it. It's like the instructions on a package that say use only as directed. Now one time we were up in the, in the Poconos on vacation and we had just eaten and we loaded the dishwasher. I put the detergent in there and we started playing Uno. Right, Sitting around the table, the four of us having a good time and all of a sudden this white stuff started coming out the bottom of the dishwasher and then more came And then more came, and then I called the maintenance department saying, hey, there's something wrong with the dishwasher. And pretty soon it was like knee-deep in foam. What I had done is I put laundry detergent in the dishwasher. So I was using a product not as it was directed. And when we use something in a matter other than its intent, it can have the opposite effect. Sin is a barrier to godly growth, and it gets in our relationship with God But sin and shame are a package deal. They go hand in hand, and they're present in our daily lives. Now, we've all made mistakes, and some of us, me particularly, have made a lot more than others. And I have met people that are so shamed about their past that they hide it from their loved ones because they feel that it will make them unlovable. Shame becomes a huge barrier to our spiritual development and our relationship with God. There may be times that we feel unable to confess our sins to God because we're ashamed of what we had done, and we don't want him to know. But he already knows. He just wants us to lay the shame and the sin at his feet. There are two things that we get, two main things that we get from God. We get our identity and our purpose. And Satan seeks to use shame to immobilize us and isolate us and to keep us from allowing God to fill our purpose and our call and our lives. When we allow shame to reign in our lives as the result of our wrongs and our mistakes, we essentially make ourselves ineffective. Shame keeps us from producing anything of value and it makes us feeling like we don't matter. Is there any worse feeling than, than that where we think we have no value and anything that we do has no purpose, Satan uses that to destroy us. Without realizing it, we've allowed Satan to change our identity in God and resetting our purpose. I mean, how many of us have ever felt like this? We begin serving in the church, we're finding ways to connect, we're serving, we feel that we're doing good, then we, have, we feel that we're filling God's purpose in our lives Um, in serving him in ministry, but all of a sudden something from our past comes up. There's some sort of skeleton in our closet that rears its ugly head. Or maybe we make a mistake, then all of a sudden doubt, insecurity, a sense of unworthiness comes in and all of a sudden shame completely takes hold. But then what do most of us do? We stop. We stop serving. We become so afraid of our mistakes and our wrongs, we've allowed Satan to take control. One of the first things I did here at Grayson when I started serving back in 2010 is Jim Calloway, a previous previous assistant pastor, asked me to read scripture. This was back when we had... um uh, individuals from the congregation come up and read scripture and I fumbled and I struggled and I just was uncomfortable doing it and I said Jim uh, I, I really I don't want to do this and, and I, I, I may have I've shared this story before so this may be a, a, a rehash for some of us and I said Jim I really am not comfortable doing this I'm making too many st- mistakes I, I really don't want to serve doing this and he says to me Don it's really not about you Right? You're allowing your insecurity and your discomfort to keep you from fulfilling a purpose that God has in your life. <clears throat> and I think back, if I would have stopped serving the Lord back then, how different would my spiritual life be now? Uh, without realizing, as I said, without realizing, we've, we, sometimes we can allow with that shame and that desire, that, uh, that discomfort, that, that wish to stop, we allow Satan to take control. You know, we don't allow ourselves time to reflect and to grow and persevere. A lot of times we take the easier approach and we just stop. We shut down. We dwell on our mistakes and then become so terrified of making another one that we end up not doing anything. We stop taking risks and we play it safe. Shame is like a river. A river is just not one straight flowing body of water. There's tributaries, there's feeders that come in. And when we allow this little mistake and that little mistake and that sin and that past and I'm not worthy and I don't feel right, when we allow them to all those tributaries to fill into that river, it becomes it, it becomes a torrent that becomes uncontrollable. <clears throat> we allow excuse me. We allow Satan to completely take control and move Satan then controls the river of shame rather than allowing god rather than casting all those little problems that we're facing to god shame is the depression of our spiritual lives it ends up making us think that we don't want to do anything and we don't want to go anywhere we just want to stay in the same place moping around because we feel that we're not good enough for same of us, for some of us shame is more of a barrier to our relationship with god than the sin that was at the start of it the feeling that you have sinned that we have all sinned or sorry the feeling that our that the feeling of having our sin exposed for some of us can be crippling and devastating and then with that shame we just want to go and hide and we're unable to let go of us unable to let go of it shame keeps us connected to our sin so long as we hold on to shame we will never break the habit of our shame shame then can turn to bitterness and resentment towards god god why do you let me keep doing this god why won't you let me let me go and then we just why and why and why god and all and then all of a sudden it becomes total resentment and becomes the the greatest barrier of all to our spiritual growth when we allow shame to rule in our lives we remove god from our heart and then wonder why god has deserted us when he really hasn't all we've done is replaced him with something ineffective we no longer grow closer to God because we either now don't know how, or worse, we feel like we don't deserve it. Rather than using shame as a means to connect us to God, it now has been used to separate us from God. But really, all all these things sound really, really bad and really, really devastating, but really the real danger that shame poses in our lives is our direct refusal to accept God's grace. We cannot experience the fullness of his love and mercy because we refuse to accept the grace, his grace, when we feel that we are unworthy. That's the point of grace, right? It's, it's something that we don't deserve. right? God just wants to give it to us, but we need to accept it. For those that may be here that aren't believers and don't understand what this is, God has given Jesus, his son, Jesus Christ, as a free gift for us to accept, to accept. to to confess our sins to, to forgive us all of our sins, as we read in 1 John 1, 9, when we started this message here, to to confess our sins, and he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and draw us into a relationship with him. But I think at times, we think that it stops. for those that are believers, at times, we think that it stops there. God wants us to be continually confessing our sins to him because if we don't, the shame sets in, and the shame ultimately separates us from God. Shame shame prevents us from letting go. Jesus is not going to take our shame from us by force. We need to lay it at his feet, and then he will take it away. So we've identified shame, shame, we've identified this destructiveness of shame, but now how do we escape from shame? For For every emotion, I say for every emotion, there is a negative side of it. I'm not talking about negative emotions like sadness, which is really can be used in a positive way. I'm thinking of things that, the difference between emotions that connect us to God and emotions that separate us from God. Uh, One that we use a lot is there's love is the positive. The destructive part of love is lust. There's anger, righteous anger, The destructive part of anger is rage, which is uncontrolled anger. There's being content and there's coveting. There's having interest and there's apathy. There's shame and there's despair. What keeps shame from turning to despair is our identity. Is our identity in Christ, is our identity in the sin that is causing the shame. If we look at 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul tells us, for our sake he made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God offers to take our sin away no matter what it is and put it aside to become God's righteousness. We were just talking about the the money changers exchanging uh, denarii to shekels in the temple. Here we have God exchanging our sin. In our shame for his righteousness. Is there any better exchange than that? I was hoping for an amen. Amen. Okay, thank you. Before we talked about identity and purpose, when we make this exchange, not only do we receive the full righteousness of God, but we receive the full identity of a child of God. This is so clear in scripture. In Ephesians 1, 4, Paul writes, we are holy and blameless before God. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, I am a new creation. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. In Colossians 3.12, I am beloved by God. In Ephesians 1.11, I, inher- I, I am an inheritance from God. Ephesians 3.12, I have access to God. Romans 8.1, I have no condemnation. And ultimately, Romans 6, I have victory over sin. The world tells us... That our identity comes from ourselves, what we do and what we accomplish, and what the world says is okay. The problem with that is what the world says is the metric is always moving. How can we ever have any identity if the goalpost is always shifting all over the place? As Christians, our identity comes in who He is and what He did. That's where our identity comes from. And really, and how, and how, God seeks to use shame in our lives to draw us to him. There's actually two examples from the apostles and where where they found their identity and how their identity and and their shame affected their outcomes. One is in Peter and one is in Judas. Peter denied Christ three times, right? left in shame, devastated by what he had done. But Peter, in having his identity in Christ, Filled his purpose as the rock on which Jesus had built his church, Judas, having betrayed Christ in the ultimate way, not having any identity in Christ, left to commit suicide. Peter took his shame and turned it to Christ. Judas took his shame and it turned to despair, and it ultimately destroyed him. Now, about about a month ago, there was a young man that came in here to the church, and. I had never seen anyone so overcome with shame. You know, we talk about reserving and restoring hearts, and we see individuals that are in despair for physical infirmities. We see individuals that have no clothing, they have um, no shoes, they have no food, they're living on the street, they're addicted to drugs. We see the physical despair that is in their lives. But seeing someone who is in spiritual despair is devastating. I, I just wanted to hug him and to say, Jesus will take this all from you. Now we spent time sharing the gospel with him. Now this was an individual that had committed a crime, recognized this crime, and was so ashamed by what he had done, he felt he could turn to nobody. He didn't even want to turn to God because he was so ashamed for what, done, for what he had done. And I tried to share with him. I said, no, that's the purpose of it, is to turn you to him, right? So. When we allow shame for what we had done to control our lives, it can absolutely destroy us. So you may be wondering how I got to shame from this passage. So as I was reading this and studying this, I found myself wondering if the people that Jesus called to task, after Jesus had called these people to task, did anybody think they did anything wrong? Did they have any guilt for what they had done? Did they have any shame? That any of them turned to Christ? Were they drawn to him because of it? You know, I don't know. Obviously, we we don't have the answers for that, but I'm inclined to think that they didn't. I mean, we see the outcome. We see how the Jews felt about Jesus. Maybe there were some. We cannot allow sin to destroy us. Unfortunately, we tend to not want to let go. We want to live in the past. I am this way because of that but didn't God give us the release from our shame, right? Earlier we mentioned Romans 3.23, thank you. We mentioned Romans 3.23, where it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is one of the base verses in evangelism. It follows the Roman's road as we, as we take someone through, through our sin and through our redemption through Christ. It's one of the first verses that we learn in Awana. But what about verses 24 through 26? And now we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation for our blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that we, so I'm sorry, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier to the one who has faith in Christ. God wants us to commit our shame, our regret for what we had done, cast it at Jesus' feet, and Jesus is just and he is the justifier for those of us that have faith in Jesus Christ. We are all guilty of sin. And when we feel shame for what we have done, We need to realize that Jesus has released us from that burden. Shame without Christ is despair. But shame with Christ is redemption and restoration. Father God, we just ask that the shame that we feel in our lives, Father, that we just lay it at your feet. Father, um, too often we just want to hold on to it. We want to... At times, wallow in it. We want to, at times, use it as excuses for not serving, honoring, and glorifying you, Father. So we know, Father, that we can just cast the shame at Your Son's feet, and He is faithful and righteous to take that shame for us and restore us back into a relationship with You, Father. So, Father, we just pray that 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 concept, that base that base idea of what to do with our shame, just minister in our hearts, set in our hearts, Father, and just let that be a new way of us thinking about the consequence of our sin, Father. So Father, we just commit our time to you, Father. So in Sunday school or whether at home or online or all, this, all that we have going on today, Father, we just pray that all that we say and we do just be pleasing and glorifying to you. And we do all of this in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through His Son, Jesus Christ.